So this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, continuing in our study of the book of Romans. Uh, We're going to look at Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, as we continue to answer some hard questions that Paul is posing about the gospel. So Paul has, in the first five chapters of the book of Romans, he's laid out the basics of the gospel message and what it means for us that Jesus has died for our sins and risen again for our justification and the fact that we are all sinners, that we have all in one way or another, whether it's by our darkness, by the blindness of our hearts, or whether it's even by our own self-righteousness in trying to keep the law for our own uh, salvation, trying to be obedient to earn God's favor. Whichever way we go in life, whether it's uh, pagan blindness or self-righteous legalism, we are still in sin. And because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we cannot be righteous in the way that God requires, or at least not through the law. But Paul reveals, starting in Romans chapter 3, that there's another way of righteousness that's always been there, riding alongside of the law, riding alongside all of the stories in the Old Testament, there is this other way of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And that by trusting in Jesus Christ, God proves himself to be, as Paul puts it in Romans chapter 3, verse 24 through 26, he proves himself to be both the just and the justifier of the one who believes in Jesus. So he proves himself to be just because he has judged sin on the cross of Calvary, but he proves himself to be the justifier of the one who trusts in Jesus Christ. And so all of that's good. We all, if you're a Christian, you know those things to be true. But then if you kind of drill down on what that means, that we can be saved apart from the law, then there's some questions that come up. And Paul started last week in our our look at the first part of chapter 6 by starting to ask those hard questions of the gospel message. And he started out by asking, if salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone, then why don't I just go on sinning that grace may abound? What keeps me? Why should I be obligated to live a holy life if God saves me by grace and, you know, I can just go on sinning and God can just go on forgiving and all is well. And so Paul answered that question last week. We saw the answer to that question is that when we come to Jesus Christ, our identity, our nature and our will changes. So we change from being in Adam to being in Christ. We change from being darkened in mind and heart to being alive in Jesus Christ. And because we have changed in those ways, we don't want to continue in sin. As Paul puts it, we're dead to sin. So we're set free from sin and empowered by God's Spirit to live in righteousness. But Paul recognizes that there's a follow-up question that might come to that To that answer. So this morning we're going to look at that follow up question from Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. So follow along with me as I read Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. It says, What then? 
Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient, serve, uh, obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there are two things that I want to look at from this passage this morning. The first is the analogy of slavery, and the second is the actions that follow the slave. So first, let's consider the analogy of slavery from verses 15 through 19. So Paul begins with this follow-up question by asking, are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace. He sees this question stemming from something that he said back in verse 14. So look back up at verse 14 that we read last week and see it again. It says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are no longer under law, but under grace. So remember, Paul. what Paul meant by this, in saying this, is that our identities have changed through faith in Jesus Christ. Sin is no longer inevitable for us. Remember last week I said that the Christian doesn't get to use the excuse, the devil made me do it. We're free from sin, which means we are now free to be obedient to Christ. When we are presented with a temptation, when we face the temptation to sin, we do not have to sin anymore. We are able to resist and to live righteously. But the reader might think, okay, so now you're saying that we don't have to follow the law. Now you're saying that we can just live freely and we don't have to be obedient to anything. To answer this question, Paul gives an analogy using a very common institution of his day, and that is the institution of slavery. In fact, up until the mid-1800s, slavery was an assumed institution among all of the major cultures and societies around the globe, including ancient Rome. So it's estimated in the Roman Empire that around 30% of the population were slaves. In fact, you could be born and live your whole life without ever being a citizen of the Roman Empire because the Romans had a process 
for citizenship. Now, here in America, when you're born, you're automatically a citizen. But in Rome, when you were born, you were automatically a slave unless you were born to people who were already citizens. So around 30% of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves even by just being born. In the Roman Empire, slaves had no rights and they were traded like property. And so they were compelled and coerced to do their master's will. And the full force of the Roman law was on the side of their master should they decide to disobey or to rebel. So in other words, a a master could do whatever he wanted to to his slave and his slave was compelled to obey without any repercussions on the master. There was no civil rights, no human rights, none of that for a slave. So understand, this isn't like being an employee. I want you to let that sink in. I know sometimes some of you might think your, your boss is like a slave master. But you don't, we don't have any way to comprehend just how severe and horrible slavery actually was because the closest thing we have to compare it to is employment. But in an employer situation, employee situation, you can quit your job. And when you take a job, you agree to a certain wage. You agree to be paid for the work that you do. And not only that, but the government has established certain laws that constrain your employer and require him to treat you with a certain level of fairness and equity. None of that existed for a slave. If a master wanted you for his own perverse pleasures, you had to obey at the risk of punishment or even death. If he wanted you to he wanted to sell you off and separate you from your family that he also owned, you had to go. Didn't matter that you were leaving your wife and kids to be sold to another family another uh, slave owner. You had to go. Now, I point all this out because I want you to catch the weight of the analogy that Paul gives. In verse 16, Paul says that we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. Now, I know in our society, we value freedom highly. We value it at a a political level, but we also value it at a personal level. We believe that the ultimate goal of anybody's life is to live completely free and to be able to shape your life to however you see fit. But in reality, we are not radically free. We have very little control over our lives, where we're born, who we're born to, who your mama is. You know, we, we have very little control over those things. And the truth of the matter is that God has made, made humanity to be contingent. In other words, we were not made for ourselves. We were made for God. Yet when Adam rebelled against God and he brought all of humanity into sin, he didn't set us free from God. He made us slaves of Satan and sin. So as Martin Luther puts it, Martin Luther said, you, all, of human, all humans are a donkey. And the question is, who's riding you? Is Satan riding you 
or is Jesus riding you? But you don't get to choose to not be a donkey. You're, it's, it's who is riding you that is the question. We are all slaves. We are either slaves to sin or we are slaves to righteousness. And just as a slave must obey his master in everything, so those who are outside of Christ must obey sin. Now, in hearing this, you might make the mistake of thinking, okay, so I was a slave to sin before I came to Jesus Christ. But when I came to Jesus, I'm a free man now. I've been set free so I can I can do what I want to do now. I can live the way I want to live. I can uh, I can do whatever I want. I can choose my own path in this life because I don't have to be obedient to any master. But you would be wrong to say that. Verse 18 says that we have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Yet there's something different about this slavery to righteousness. Notice in verse 17, he says that we have become obedient from the heart. In other words, because God has changed our nature in Christ and given us his spirit, we want to obey our master. It's not that we have to obey our master. It's that we want to obey our master. So notice now the difference between these two masters. And the reason we want to obey our master, Jesus Christ, is because there is a stark difference between the fruits of sin and slavery to sin and the fruits of righteousness and slavery to Christ. So consider the second point that I want to make today, the actions that follow the slave from verses 20 through 23. So here Paul uh, says that our master determines our actions. And there are two places or two actions that we see uh, that are, give us a stark contrast between the master and the actions that they produce. So first, we find it in the difference in the fruit we produce. Notice in verse 21, Paul moves from an analogy of slavery to an analogy of fruit. And he asks us to think about the fruit that our sinful ways produced. As he says, the things we produced when we were living in sin were shameful. He says, remember, when you were in sin, you were ashamed of the things that you did. So understand this, friend. All sin carries shame with it. Sure, we may suppress it. We may teach our conscience to ignore it. We may make posts on Facebook about how we are above everyone's judgment, just living our best life. But the shame is still there. Shame has real consequences. It feeds itself by leading us deeper and deeper into sin. It weighs on us and it, bring, it weighs on our lives, causing us stress and anxiety. It divides friendships and marriages. To numb it, we abuse substances or we abuse other people. And shame ultimately kills. This is the fruit that all of those who are slaves to sin, produce. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 18 through 20, 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So in contrast to those who are slaves to Christ, uh, in contrast, those who are slaves to Christ produce fruit of a different kind. In verse 22, Paul says that those who are slaves to God produce fruit that leads to sanctification. Now, this word sanctification means purity. So it's the opposite of shame. Where the sinner lives in regret, the sanctified lives with grace. Where the sinner lives with stress, the sanctified lives with contentment. Where the sinner lives with despair, the sanctified lives in joy. Nothing God commands is for our shame. Have you ever thought about that? That we often look at God's law as though it is difficult, as though it is burdensome. You know, I have to give up this or that. I have to give up doing what I want to on Sunday because I'm, I'm supposed to observe uh, the Lord's Day. I have to give up what, uh, uh, the way I want to live and the way I want to love because God commands me to love and to, uh, to uh, gather my emotions and, and desires in a certain way. And we think of it as a burden. But God's, bur- God's law is not a burden. It's a gift. It's a grace in and of itself. Because God's law, God's commands are for our good. There is nothing you find in God's law that brings shame. Sin brings shame. But God's word brings purity and goodness and joy and order and beauty and uh, gratefulness and thankfulness. God's law and God's commands, they shape us for good and for joy. They do not take away from their lives. They order our lives in the way that they should be. And they keep us from shame and from regret. They are life-giving. So finally, notice the difference between the end result of slavery to sin and the end result of slavery to Christ. In verse 23, Paul says that the wages of sin is death. Now this word wages points to the the salary that a soldier was given. So imagine that you're a soldier and you're putting your life at risk day in and day out for the emperor of the Roman Empire. You're, You're at chance of losing limb and losing life every day that you serve Him. And at the end of your work, the emperor pays you, but in this case, he pays you with death. That would be a pretty bum job. That the wages of your work, the wages of your service in the slavery to sin is death. And the end result of a life that is lived in sin The payment that we receive for sin is death. Understand that sin can only bring death. And that death is not just physical death and non-existence, but a spiritual death for all of eternity in hell. An eternity of shame and regret and despair. 
But the end result of slavery to Christ is something totally different. Paul says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice the play on words that Paul does here. For those who are in sin, those who are slaves to sin, what they get for their work is a wage. They get what they deserve. And what do they deserve? Death. But for those who trust in Jesus and trust in His goodness and His righteousness, what they receive is not a wage. They receive what? A gift. And that gift is eternal life. So for the one who is a slave to sin, he gets what he deserves, and that is death. For those who trust in Jesus Christ, they get the gift of eternal life. A life that is free from shame and full of joy. A life that is pure and, uh, and full of the love of God. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, won't you turn to Him in faith and believe that He has forgiven you of your sin and has died for your sins and risen again for your justification? Won't you escape the shame and death that can only come as the right wage for your sins and instead trust and receive the gift of eternal life today? Brothers and sisters, We are no longer enslaved to sin. Now we are slaves of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the master that we serve is a good and kind master. He is a master who has served us and who continues to serve us. And if he has served us, then we should be willing to serve others. In John chapter 13, after the Last Supper, Jesus takes a cloth and He puts it around His waist and He takes a water basin and He begins to wash His disciples' feet. And in verse 16 of John chapter 13, He says, A servant is not greater than his master. If you know these things, then you should do them. We are to do as our master has done. We are to serve the least. We are to love our enemies. We are to teach the truth about who God is and what He has done for those who are lost. We are to rescue the lost sheep. We are called to serve a gracious and good master. A master who has laid down His life for all those who are His. And because of that, we should be motivated to go out and to serve others. May we leave this place ready to serve our master as he has served us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work that you have done through Jesus Christ and the fact that our good master has served us so that we might serve him and we might serve others. Lord, I pray that we would not fall back into slavery to sin, but that we would live as slaves of righteousness, willing to serve you because of what you have done for us. Father, bless us now as we respond in faith to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.